Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Now, listen, they want me to say hello. Welcome to the James Well Best Bits of tonight's show. I wish you can hear every night, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio from 7 till 10. But I said, wouldn't it be best to call it the worst of whale? So have a listen. See what you think. Ola Minogi's Conflict and Humanitarian adv- uh, Advocacy Advisor from Save the Children. And she joins us now. Um, Ola, thank you very much indeed for your time. Thank you. Um, tell me your feelings on this, because I'm just so annoyed that we're not, we don't seem to be interested, we don't seem to be make it into a news story, uh, we just seem to be more concerned about, I don't know, first world problems. Well, I think, you know, we're coming up on the nine-year anniversary of the conflict in Syria, and I think, unfortunately, for some of the, some of the world's media, for some of the people who are out there, it, it seems like it's the same news, different day. And really what's happening, in fact, is unprecedented, even within the horror that has been the, the Syria conflict to date. You mentioned some, some figures at the start there. And yes, almost a million people have been displaced since December 1st alone. So in less than three months, three short months, almost a million people are on the move from their homes, fleeing violence, shelling, ground and aerial bombardment. And, and in fact, when they do flee, when, for those who do manage to get to safety, unfortunately, the conditions that they're, that they're facing are, remain just desperate. So the children are very concerned at the number of vulnerable women and children who are now living in the open, some covering with only tents for, for cover. And for those who do manage to find shelter and have, have a tent in overcrowded camps in the open, some are resorting to using dangerous heaters or burning plastic to keep warm. And sadly, we've had reports of a number of very small children dying as a result of tent fires and asphyxiation in the past few weeks. Um, so it's a very, very desperate situation and absolutely one that the world needs to be paying more attention to. And why aren't we? I think that people are concerned that there is no solution, that there is no resolution, whereas in fact a ceasefire is both possible and absolutely necessary. We have seen ceasefires and cessation of hostilities previously in this conflict. You hear people say things like, well, there's nothing that can be done, there's nobody that can be influenced. That's not accurate. In fact, the governments that you know we all turn to um, to take action, those with seats on the Security Council, including the UK, they have the ability and they have the influence to make a difference in this, in this conflict. 
effect. And so we want to we want to stress that that ceasefire is absolutely necessary and must happen um, in a timely manner because the sub-zero temperatures that children are facing in in Syria it's just. Um, yeah, it's horrific. So that change needs to come very soon. I'm not going to read them out, but I'm just looking at some of the texts coming in from some people and they obviously couldn't care less. A lot of people obviously couldn't care less. Well, that's sad to hear. I mean, certainly at Save the Children, we receive countless messages of support from mm. people and people donate to our Syria appeal and have been doing so for, for years. So, I mean, I can I can counter that by saying I know that very many people do care good, very, very good. much. And, and when people understand what we're talking about here, when they when they are able to um, put themselves in the mind frame of a situation where you have three million people trapped in an area with nowhere safe to go, I think that if people really grasp that and, and, and really comprehend it, then it's very difficult not to have a huge amount of sympathy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned in, in your, your opener around not only physical injuries, of which absolutely there are, are many and some with severe disabilities as a result of the use of explosive weapons, but also mental health issues, you know, children who have grown up in extreme trauma and know nothing else. And it's it's devastating to see. And I think that when people understand, a, you know, a, a toddler who, who has known nothing but war, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a hugely sympathetic thing. And I hope that more people um, can put themselves into into a frame of... But of Assad, Assad and, and Putin, they're not humanitarian. I mean, they're bombing them in the first place. So they're not going to bother with a ceasefire, are they? Well, they are actors on a world stage in which they can be influenced by other countries. We've seen that again and again throughout the conflict. It's certainly not easy. Um, it's been a hugely contentious issue that the United Nations has, has struggled to come to terms with, absolutely, without a doubt. But there have been ceasefires in the past, and we have seen violence in Idlib in the past that has been negotiated into, into a more uh, peaceful and stable situation, and that's what we want to see again now. The James Whale Show. Come praise the on Talk Radio. Uh, Mo Hussain, he's a former special advisor to Amber Rudd, joins us now. Uh, Mo, good evening to you. Good evening. Um, has Dominic been after you? Uh, he, he has not, no. Um, uh, I, I wasn't uh, inclined to respond either to the infamous job advert blog, having done a few years as a special advisor um, already. Mm. Is that because, I mean, how, how long had you been a special advisor, by the way? So I did it for three years, from 2015 till 2018. Yeah. What do you, how, how did you get the job? What were you done bang on the desk again, Ash? That was very rude. Sorry. Uh, how did you get the job as special advisor? What do you have to do? Uh, well, there's no, there's no kind of set path to this. Everybody comes to it differently. Uh, I was working in Downing Street before that in the press team with a lot of people who were special advisors to the then Prime Minister David Cameron. Uh, and it was through that that I got to meet Amber mm. when she became Energy Secretary. Uh, other people coming, come up through the party structure, through Conservative HQ. Some people work for MPs in Parliament and then come across with them into government. There's lots of people from think tanks. So everybody's kind of role, uh, way into it is different. So they're all a bit boring. I'm not, not being rude, I'm, but they're all a bit dull and a bit boring and a bit samey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, present company excluded, but uh, it, it depends. There are different roles. So, you know, there's a policy role, which you uh, are likely to, you know, focus on 
that policy area in your previous jobs or have an interest in it. I was doing the media stuff, mm. uh, which uh, is a lot of talking to lobby, briefing, looking after uh, that person's kind of uh, visits and image and what they're doing publicly. Uh, but yeah, as I said, there's no uh, there's no kind of set HR process for this. There's no real blueprint. A lot of it is a very personal thing between you and the, your minister, the person you work for. You know, is there trust there? Uh, especially if you're having to defend them, uh, take calls on their behalf at midnight from slightly irate lobby journalists. So that has to be based on that personal connection and that relationship, uh, which will be different depending on who the minister is and who the individual is. And is there a fixed rate of pay, like a civil servant sort of? Uh, there is. It's all published uh, in the uh, annual returns. Uh, you're, you're technically a temporary civil servant, so you would be a senior civil servant. Uh, but even even within that, some of the more senior special advisors or people who work in number 10 certainly would get paid more than mm. uh, people who worked in a department like I did. And when you were advising Amber Rudd, I mean, what were you advising her on and how did, did you just go into her office and say, hey, Amber, got a great idea, you should say or you should do this? Uh, sometimes it was like that, but that was just the way that she and I worked. I think other people probably have a slightly more formal uh, relationship. Uh, I mean, uh, part of it is if you're in a department, part of it is being that person's kind of eyes and ears within the department. So making sure that anything coming up to them, any piece of advice, any quotes that the press office may have drafted actually sound like something they would say have got their things that they, they believe or they want to get across and they have got their priorities represented. So I think, you know, you're having these conversations, you're almost guiding the department and the civil service in terms of what ministers will want to see and what they will want them to do. Uh, so a lot of it, a lot of it is that. And then on the media side, yes, it is very much what about doing this article or doing this interview or mm. uh, doing this visit. Do you think, MPs need advisors. I mean, why can't they do it themselves? Nobody tells me what to do around here. I think they do, and I think it's to do with bandwidth. And I think if you are in a very big department, you will have a lot of people coming to you, wanting FaceTime, telling you that what they're working on, their specific policy mm -hmm. is the priority. And you need some people, you know, kind of who are trusted around you where you can, uh, in an environment where you're not going to get something you said that might get leaked or you're just worried about that side of things. Or you can but things get leaked all the time by you guys, yeah. don't they? Well, uh, I couldn't possibly comment on that. But uh, <laughs> And what uh, did you leak then, Mo? Well, no, look, it's, it's, it's about the trust. It's about the same Yeah, but what did you leak, Mo? I didn't leak anything. Oh, come uh, on, Mo. You must have leaked something. <laughs> no, look, uh, th there is obviously a part of the job which is just context and background briefing uh, which you would kind of talk uh, to people uh, who are political journalists just to explain where the person you work for is coming from, what the rationale is behind doing certain things. But a lot of it is a judgment. So it is deciding, you know, in a department where there's dozens of policy areas, which are the two or three that you really want to focus on? What do you want your legacy to be? What should we really, you know, put our resource into? And I think having people who can give you a view on that and maybe challenge what you think and uh, 
give another point of view is quite important in a trusted environment. The James Whale Show. Come praise the whale on Talk Radio. Sophie Hesser, private jet manager at Air Charter Services based in London. Oh, yeah. So let's see what we can find out. Uh, Sophie, good evening. Hi, good evening. How, How are you, you, Sophie? I'm well. I'm good. And so, listen, um, if we say you are one of the best interviews we've ever conducted and uh, you sound <laughs> great on the radio, what else can we say? Yeah. yeah. And it's great company. Yeah. Great for, uh, okay. airline. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to fly? Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, uh, well, we'll come back to that in a moment. So is there a a real boom in stuff because uh, this virus people are worried about? So I wouldn't say there's a boom in the actual flying, but there's a boom in inquiries. Obviously, we get inundated with requests. Mm. um, But at the end of the day, private jet travel is expensive and it's only really going to be affordable by those who have the means to do it. So... Um, we've been doing, uh, I'd say, about 40-odd flights for people getting in and out of the region, mm. doing cargo, medical evacuations and things like that. I mean, I have a friend who, who pilots these private jets all over the place. Um, and he was telling me the other day that uh, we could, if I got enough people together, we could mm-hmm. go off for a, a lunchtime mm. and come back. Is that right? I mean, yeah, we literally take bookings on private jets for people that just want to go now. And, you know, sometimes... What, right now? They'll phone us and they could be flying within two hours, three hours from the phone call. Okay, we finish at 10. Where should we go, (laughs) Sophie? Well, we've got, you know, um, a full range of aircraft from anything from the small helicopters and the light jets right up to the big Gulf streams that could fly you. Yeah, we want those. No, 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 no. We can't afford that. But what, what for a, a small jet, um, how, mu- how much? A Learjet. A Learjet yeah, yeah, Learjet. A Learjet. So a Learjet would seat eight passengers. Mm-hmm. Very popular with golfers, yeah, skiers, yeah. Uh, shooting trips. Gets you around the course really quickly, doesn't it? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so, I mean, if you wanted to fly by private jet, and you would call your your broker, um, and basically we would consult you on a range of aircraft. We haven't, hang on, we haven't got a broker. Isn't it just like a taxi? We just go, we need a plane. Oh no, shut up, Ash! Shut up! up shut up! We haven't got a broker. Yeah. Why do we we need a broker? Just put the meter. Ash, on. shut my flip up! Just will run, you run it on the meter? I'm so sorry. Uh, uh, look, will you stop it now? Well, I'm trying, I'm to, trying to, to conduct an interview. Yeah. Just stop it's it. Right, Sophie, yeah. I'm so sorry. I do beg your pardon. So, obviously, um, Air Charter Service, my company, we're one of the longest-standing companies in the business. So, we we have actually got 300 account managers worldwide, um, 28 locations, and we can book jets pretty much anywhere, anytime for celebrities, artists, mm. royalty, you name it. Um, obviously, we do a lot with government, and we have worked on the corona, but... Also, we've been um, launching a new carbon offset scheme, which is quite interesting. Um, as I know, there's been a lot of stuff in the media lately about <clears throat> private jets. We're not worried about We're not that. worried about, about that, Sophie. <laughs> we don't care about that. Um, so you don't back... care about the environment? <laughs> well, yeah, we care about people who drop plastic all over the place and yeah. don't pick up litter after them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean... You're frightened of those environmentalists, aren't you, Sophie? Well, I actually have a master's in environmental change and management from Oxford. Yeah, well, that's nice. It's something to share with your friends out for a drink. But a bit of a career change. From yeah. Me, but, 
Yeah. I quite like the idea of you've got that and now you work yeah. in aircraft and some of the yeah. most polluting aircraft yeah, yeah. going. That's brilliant. I mean, what <laughs> we're doing now is, you know, we're giving people the choice. They can mm. consultation. Um, they can book new aircraft, energy-efficient aircraft. They can offset their emissions. So the choice is with the consumer, really. Um, but we have done some quite interesting flights in and out of China recently. Um, you know, people don't want to travel with their children um, or people need, you know, additional support. We've given 1,000 kilograms of medical gloves um, from JFK to China on a scheduled service. We've done, you know, relief with protective coveralls, anything, you name it, we've, we've been there. The James Whale Show. Come praise the whale on Talk Radio. The monarchy doing what they do is great, and I think all those people say, oh, I want to go to the royal family. Well, she, she does nothing. So what does she do? Waves and that. Goes to places and waves. Yoko Ono. She was, what, 87 today? She sounds great for 87. She sounds great. Sounds yeah. like John Lennon, doesn't she? Yeah. Come and have a look what it says. <laughs> Sorry to hear you. I don't know that you should read it know. out. <laughs> Crocheted panties. Is that what that says? Hello again, James. Dominic Cummings here. I'm sorry, but I called Ash by mistake. He's just a bit too weird even for me. Uh, what are you doing? No, I was just saying... What are you doing? You can't make a call when we're on the air. But things get leaked all the time by you guys, don't they? Well... Hey, what did you leak then, Mo? Yeah, but what did you leak, Mo? Oh, no, shut up, Ash. Shut up. Shut up. Why do we need a broker? Just put the mix on. Ash, shut the flip up, will you? I mean, it could have been 20 years ago. No, it was really... No, it was... The answer to this is simple. Beavers. That was uh, the clips for today. The worst of Whale, or sorry, sorry, the best of James Whale. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed them. Well, I suppose if you didn't enjoy them, you won't be listening, will you? Anyway, I'll be back 7 o'clock until 10, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio. Have a great day. Thank you for listening.